Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt, and I just want to welcome you at all of our locations. Welcome those of you who are watching from your home or your mobile device or your computer. Just thank you so much for tuning in. You are tuning in for an absolutely awesome, at an awesome time because we are in, entering into our Christmas series called A Christmas Journey that's going to lead up to a, just a great weekend on December the 20th, and then all of our local campuses and online as well will have some options on or around uh, Christmas Eve. So uh, just look at our website, check out uh, more information about those opportunities just as we journey through this incredible Christmas season together. Again, thank you so much for being here. Now, I don't know about you and your family, but one of the most important decisions that we deal with in the Evans family is decorating the old Christmas tree and, and specifically and every year there's just this conversation, this debate, this dialogue about where do all the ornaments need to go. I don't know if that happens for you. Like my two boys, man, it's like a tradition. We're all going to help and, and you know, everybody's got to hang at least like 50 ornaments or something. And my two boys, man, they'll just decorate one section of the tree, buddy, and it'll just be all covered up. And then Beth walks in the room and is like, man, it's all out of balance. It doesn't, you know, doesn't work that way. And, you know, so there's this decision of where do these ornaments go, and it reflects something, right, that's true of you and me as people, that life and things like that, there's, there's a relationship, right, or there's supposed to be. Things are just supposed to have their place. Things are supposed to be orderly. Things are supposed to fit. There's a proper place and an improper place for things to go. And so this is a lot like sort of life, and, and, and life hands us, you know, this ornament, and we're like, man, where do I put this, and where does this go, and how does this work, and how do I reconcile what's happening to me or what's going on around me? How do I reconcile you know, my, my hopes and dreams for how life is supposed to look when I'm 20, when I'm 21, when I'm 30, when I'm middle-aged, when I'm a senior adult? How's life supposed to look, and, and where do all this stuff that happens and all this stuff I do or is done to me, where does it fit? And and where does it go, so to speak, on this tree of life? Now, if you're like a person of faith or a Christian, and, and maybe even just a person who sort of believes that, you know, th there's not really accidents, we've got our cliches, right? Like when, when something, a curveball is thrown at us or we get a different kind of ornament, we're like, man, where does this fit? We've got like our cliches, you know, hey, God has a plan and it was no coincidence, or, well, it just wasn't meant to be, or, yeah, it was meant to be, and we sort of, you know, rest on that. But the challenge comes when you, something broken comes, right? Or, or there, there's just, there's this thing that you've, you've been dealt, or thing that you're dealing with, or that you didn't expect, it's not, it doesn't really look great, and like, where does that go? You know, and you want to throw it away, but you can't do that in life. You do that with your Christmas tree, but you can't do that in life. You maybe want to hide it, but you're like, I just can't hide this. Something's got to be done with this. And so where do I put the, the pieces of life that don't really make sense or the pieces of life that I don't get, that I don't understand, or the pieces of life that hurt or the pieces of life that don't look real good? I don't really want anybody to see this stuff, but I got to put it somewhere. So where does it go and, and how do I deal with that stuff. And so that's sort of what we're going to talk about today as we sort of navigate with someone on their Christmas journey. It's one of my, probably my favorite character of the Christmas story. It's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to see her walk through some stuff that you and I walk through. 
And we're going to see her be, be dealt brokenness and, and disruption and interruption. We're going to see her and how she handles something that just, several things actually, that just don't seem to fit. And, and, and where's their place? And how does this all work out? And what's the order to all of this stuff? Questions you and I are asking. Questions you and I, you know, that, that throw our faith a curveball. You know, when we're young, and, and, and maybe our parents raised us to believe these things. And, and it just sort of seemed okay because when you're young, you know, you're not trying to pay the bills. You know, you're not really like afraid of anything super bad happening because you sort of live in a bubble and your parents give you the airbag effect when stuff happens. And, but then sooner or later, these answers just don't satisfy and your faith gets shaken. And you're like, man, I, I, I was raised to believe X, but man, life doesn't really work the way I was, you know. And, and then what? What do you do then? And, and that's just where Mary and her story and her insights and her responses are so helpful for you and I. So let's join the original Christmas journey, and we'll today be in the Gospel of Luke. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph <coughs> of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. And, and, and who doesn't want that, right? The grace, the favor of God. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now, just, just to prepare us for where we're going, if we hear this and we hear that God is with us, we just expect the tree to look great, right? And everything to fit and everything to fall in place and everything to work out. That, that's the natural assumption that we all make. But I want us to notice Mary's response. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. She's like upset. She's concerned. There's an interruption. There's a disruption. I'm not sure how to take this. I'm not sure where to place this on my tree. And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, for you have found favor or grace or mercy in a special way with God himself. And I think there's a lesson here for us in our humanity and in how we try to understand God and how we try to relate to God. And the lesson is this, God's grace and favor, and who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want to be blessed by God? But God's grace and favor do not always come in a welcoming way. Or, or, or God's grace and favor do not always come in recognizable packaging. And I don't know how many of you have ever played the game. My wife hates this game, but it's Dirty Santa. You ever played Dirty Santa? You know, where you can steal gifts. You're in a, you're in a group of 12 people, and <clears throat> there's 12 gifts in a pile. And some of the gifts are really good, and some of the gifts are like awful. You wouldn't even want to give them to your enemy. And, and what I found in a common tactic in Dirty Santa is the gifts that look awesome, like they're beautifully wrapped. The box is ginormous. And, and everybody like said, that's the one I'm getting. That's the one I'm getting. Oh, I hope that one's still there when it's my turn. And you open it up and it's like a can of spam or something like that. Uh, or, and you're like, what was I thinking and why? But, and then the packages that are like wrapped in newspaper and all, you know, kind of look like a single guy that doesn't have a girlfriend wrapped it, you know, 
those packages usually have the best thing, usually have the best gifts. And it's kind of the reverse of what we think. And, and it's not that God plays dirty Santa, but there's something going on when God moves in our life, when God's grace and favor comes in our life. Sometimes it's not in a form we expect. Sometimes it's in a form we're not prepared to even accept. Sometimes we don't even think it's God. And, and I think and I pray that this passage, this story just opens us up that when you know, life hands us a different looking ornament. And we're looking at the tree and we've got our pattern and man, we've got reds and blues and it all fits. And then we get this, you know, oblong weird shaped green ornament. And where does that go? That we would just pause for a minute and remember, okay, look, God's grace and favor and God's in the business of giving grace and favor. That's Christmas, right? They just don't always come in a way that we're like, wow, thank you, God, at least not initially. So we got to hang in there for the rest of the journey and see what's going on. So the angel says to Mary, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So, so you're not just going to have any baby, Mary. You're going to have the one that we've been waiting on since Genesis 3. You're going to have the one that David was prophesied that to have this king of his on the throne forever. You, you, this, is, this is great, Mary. This is way bigger than just you and your deal and you and your story. This is way bigger, Mary, than you and your tree. Because he's going to be great and he's going to be the son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now remember, Mary is like disturbed and afraid and confused, and she doesn't know how this all fits, and she's like been given this thing, and she's like, I don't know where to put this. I don't know where this goes on my tree. I mean, she's just like you and I. I mean, when, when things happen that we don't recognize, we don't understand, that we didn't ask for, we didn't hope for, we didn't dream about, we didn't expect. I mean, there's pushback, right? There's questions. So she says to the angel, how can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man, how's this going to happen? How's this going to work? How am I going to fit this in here? What's really going on? And then the angel replies, and the angel answered her, replied to her, the Holy Spirit, God himself, will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, the power of God, will overshadow you, will overcome you, will take you over. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I, I don't know about you, I, I love this statement, nothing will be impossible with God, but I struggle with this one, God, God will overshadow me, right? Because what I want to do is, yeah, God, nothing's going to be impossible, you're going to put me where I want to be, give me what I want to have, take me where I want to go, but I'm sort of still in control, uh, so, so there's a tension here, right? Hey, Mary, you're going to be overshadowed, it's not about you, you're not going to be in control, but nothing will be impossible with God. 
And, and so right here is what I would call Mary's crossroads. And, and you'll identify, I identify with Mary's crossroads. And it's that point of which way do I go here? Am I going to get hung up on how? How can this be? Am, am I, am I going to get hung up on the, the, my fear and my deep trouble about this? That where does this go? How does this fit? What's the purpose? I mean, where, 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 this is my crossroads moment. And so what do I do with that? So here's the crossroads. Is fear going to control or even hijack her destiny? Is the voice of fear going to crowd out the voice of the angel and the word of God himself? That's just a relevant question because all of us have fear. But is that voice going to win out? And Mary, second thing, Mary asked the angel, hey, how can this be? I don't get this. I don't understand this. So is lack of understanding going to cause her to miss her purpose? I mean, there's a lot of people maybe listening here today, and, and you won't take the next step with God because you just don't understand how it's going to work out, or you don't understand the ways of God. And, and you're like, God, I don't get it. I don't get how this could have happened. I don't get how you could make this good. I don't get how you can work in this situation. God, I don't get how this is going to fit. Right? And, and then you, you think about Mary as this young, devout Jewish girl, and she's about to get married. And, and you know, every girl has a hope and a dream about what wedding and marriage is going to be. And, and what does what, what the best marriage possible look like? And, and that's just been totally upended because she, she's going to get pregnant, not by her fiancé or her husband, but uh, by an act, a, a miraculous act of God. And, and, and throughout Jesus' life, he's going to be accused of being an illegitimate child, and, and that comes up in, several times in the Gospels. So, so this is not going to be the typical courtship. Mary and Joseph aren't going to have the typical honeymoon, and they're not going to have what they thought would be the ideal little first century romance. And, and so sort of the third kind of crossroads question is this, is, is Mary's personal belief about what's best going to cause her to miss God's blessing? Because see, I, I think all of us, you know, when we look at the tree, all of us are like, man, this is how the tree ought to look. This would be the best shape, the best place to put this ornament. Unless we don't want any ornaments that are weird. We don't want any ornaments that are broken. We don't want any ornaments that don't seem to fit what I think is best, right? And you, you, know, you have that freedom when it comes to your Christmas tree. You don't have that freedom when it comes to your life. And so, you know, God gives us something that looks different, feels different. We don't think it's best. We didn't want it. We didn't ask for it, right? And it's so easy to say, this can't be God. God can't use this. And so, you know, that, that's got to be going off in, in, my, in my soul or my mind or in my faith journey and Mary's faith journey and in yours. And so is that going to cause me to miss what God wants to do and what God's trying to do in my story, in my life? And then Mary gives this answer in verse 38, Luke chapter 1. To me, it's one of the most profound yet simple and powerful things in all of Scripture, and, and it's still the, the, the most profound thing any of us can ever say or ever do. She says, see, okay, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me 
as you have said. Then the angel left her. This word in the Greek is actually a stronger word than servant. You know, you call your waiter, waitress, your server, right, at the restaurant. This actually more sounds like slave. You're my master. You are in control. I give you the steering wheel. I am the Lord's slave or I am the Lord's servant. And so she goes with God. She goes against Maybe her hopes and her dreams, she goes against the, the fact that she doesn't understand, that she doesn't get this. And, and I was thinking, you know, as we look at this story, I, I think there's a lot of people, and some of you may be listening today, and, and I've certainly had this feeling or emotion toward God, but I think there's a lot of people that if we're honest, we're sort of mad at God. And, and, and the question is really, why are we mad at God? Because I think if we really are honest with ourselves, we're kind of mad at God for being God. We're upset at God for being God. We're not upset that he hasn't done what he promised to do. We're upset because he hasn't done what we expect him to do, what we want him to do, what we long for him to do. And so we're just mad that he's God and we're not. And so Mary at her crossroads moment, is she going to let God be God? And if she lets God be God, she has to say this. I'm your slave. I'm your servant. Otherwise, she wants to make God her servant. Hey, God, you do. This is what I want to happen, God. Don't give me broken ornaments. Don't give me weird ornaments. Don't give me ornaments that don't look what I, like I think my life should look like. And so the question is, is a big question, isn't it? Are you and I asking God to serve us? Or are we willing just to say this same statement, whether it's about our money, whether it's about our relationships, whether it's about 2020? See, I am the Lord's servant. And, and, and here's something that we need to say as I was thinking through this, praying through this text. Mary actually chooses to do more than to trust God. She chooses more to, than to trust God because I think a lot of times when we say, when we say the word trust, it, it, it's kind of with a reservation. We'll say, well, you know, we even have this phrase, trust but verify. You ever heard somebody who says, well, I, I trust you, but... So it's like trust with suspicion or trust... But man, I can take back the reins at any moment. And, 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 and what Mary says is deeper, is bigger than, hey, okay, God, I trust you. She says, no, God, I'm your slave. And, and what Mary chooses is this word. Willingly surrender. I surrender to you. I am the Lord's servant. I am the words. I am the Lord's slave. And, and I think surrender is trust, but it's deeper. Because it's like, okay, God, steering wheel is yours. And I'm not going to take it back. No matter which path you take me down. Because you've, you've said this right. 
something that's happened. You got a weird broken ornament and you're like, where's this fit? And you say, well, I'm just trusting the Lord. And your tone of voice or your body language sort of, sort of gives it away, right? You're struggling. It's okay. I mean, life doesn't always fit together the way we think it should, right? It's like our Christmas trees. I just think there's something deeper for Mary, though. She says, see, angel, my hands are off the wheel. I'm not even going to be a backseat driver. I'm the Lord's servant. And it, it, it opens up a new opportunity for us today. Because we don't always have the power to control or to dictate or to influence. But we always have the power and the choice to surrender. And, and, and as we're going to see, surrendering to a good master, surrendering to Christ is powerful. So we don't always have the choice to, to control, to dictate, influence. And a lot of times, this is what we're fighting God over, right? This, this is what we're mad at God about, right? This is why we're confused or we're hurt or we're upset. And so we don't always have this power. But we always have this choice and this power. Now, so after she says this, again, we automatically think, because this is the way we roll, right? Man, God's going to take care of her. Her life's going to be great. It's, everything's going to be wonderful. And then they go right into Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree comes out for Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered or a census taken. So here's how they did it. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered. You had to go back to your hometown. Each one went back to their own town. So Joseph had to come up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So they got to go on a long journey with his, you know, probably eight, nine-month pregnant wife. And he had to do this because he was of the house and the family line of David. God's fulfilling his covenant promise to David made in 2 Samuel 7. So he had to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they, got, while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger or a feeding trough, okay? Because there was no guest room available for them. And so you're sort of like, God, You've been planning this since, oh, Genesis 3, and you couldn't bother to make sure there was room and a reservation in an inn, that your son, who you said is great, going to be called the son of the most high, is going to have to go be born in a feeding trough with the animals. I mean, there's no mom in here who would say, man, give me that option, you know, give me that option when it's time for labor. Nobody's going to say that. And again, it's another curveball. It's another different kind of ornament. It's another random, unexpected, God, do you really know what you're doing? God, I'm not sure. I gave you the wheel, but now I'm having second thoughts. God, I surrendered, but can I take back a surrender? Can I unratify the treaty? What do I need to do? And okay, so that happens. And then King Herod, who's this jealous, narcissistic king of the first century, he hears about Jesus. He feels threatened by him that he might take his throne. So he wants to kill Jesus. He orders a massacre of all young boys in the area. 
And in a dream, Joseph is told he needs to flee from Egypt. So now the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, have to become refugees and go to a foreign country. And so again, we're thinking, God, I gave you the will, and I, I thought you were a better driver than me, but what's going on? And, and, and so just, I just want to be honest. Surrender does not mean easier. In fact, you go read Luke chapter 9, and Jesus will even say, hey, look, 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 if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to pick up a cross. That's not easy. And, and, and so count the cost to make sure you're really willing to follow me. You're really willing to follow me because surrender doesn't mean easier. Now, now here's the important part of that for you and I today. Here, here's the important part of that. So because surrender doesn't mean easier, and there are going to be moments in your journey with God, in your journey with Jesus, and in your journey with Jesus having the steering wheel of your life or your marriage or your parenting or your finances, there's going to be moments in your journey where you are going to want to say, I don't think God knows what he's doing. I need to take back the controls. I need to take back control of my money. I need to take back control of my relationships. I need to take back control of whatever. And so for that reason, we have to understand something. Surrender to God is never a singular decision. It is an ongoing way of life. It is never a singular decision. It is an ongoing way of life. So for all the people here today, all the people listening today, and when you were eight years old or when you were 17 at youth camp and you surrendered your life to Jesus, and then as soon as that feeling wore off, you began doing it your way and you've been doing it your way ever since, you today need to come back and and give another surrender to King Jesus. Because Mary, I guarantee you, every moment along the way, her and Joseph had to come back and say, no, we're surrendered. No, we're surrendered. No, I'm not going to assert control. I'm not going to tell God how to be God. I am surrendering to God. I, you have to do it time and time and time and time and time again. It's never settled because it's never easy. It's best but it's never easy. So what does surrender look like? What does surrender look like? Because here's what I know. Here, here, to everybody here today, you're an atheist. You're not a Christian yet. You're a Christian. You're a prodigal. You're backsliding. You're, you're, you're growing in your faith. For everybody I'm talking to, there's always more surrender. Whether it's to surrender to God your Monday or to surrender to God your money, or to surrender to God an area you've taken back over. So it's a universal message today. We all ought to be able to walk out of here in our, in our small groups, in our marriages, with our, with our D group members, with, with our accountability people. We all ought to be able to say, I got to surrender something. I know I do. And I just think it's the path God puts us on. So what does surrender look like? I, I'll give you three thoughts, okay? It looks like immediate, immediate obedience. It looks like doing the next right thing right now. The next right thing that you know, the next right thing that God told you to do right now. It means less of me for more of him. So surrender looks like immediate obedience. As soon as you know that God wants you to be baptized, get baptized. As soon as you know that God expects you to be generous with your money, you need to start budgeting to give God what God asked for. As soon as you know 
that what God's will for sex and marriage is, you got to start stepping and moving and walking in that direction. As soon as you know that God wants you to give him time through time in his word, you are subscribing to time with God and you're getting up five minutes early or you're getting your junk done 20 minutes early. So at the end of the day, you can give God that time. As soon as you, that's what surrender looks like. As soon as you realize that the path you're walking on is sinful or self-righteous or prideful or greedy or whatever, you're going to do a U-turn and come back and re-surrender to God. As soon as you come under conviction to sin, you are going to go to God, confess your sin, and say, Lord God, please forgive me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I want to re-surrender to you today. As soon as you know, you do the next right thing in immediate obedience. Now, here's the beautiful part and what makes surrender worth it. Hear me, what makes surrender worth it. Yes, it's less of me. I am the Lord's servant, but I get more of him. And you can't get anything better than more of Christ. Can't. So on the, on the, at the crossroads moment, man, I'm giving up a lot giving up a lot, giving up money, I'm giving up time, giving up control. You're giving up a lot, but you're always getting more than you give because you're getting him. He's worth it. It's the beauty of salvation. It's why people give their lives to Jesus Christ. It's not just to get out of hell free card. It's get God. It's get the king of kings. It's get the most high as your friend, your comforter, your Lord, your leader. You get more of him. Let's keep unpacking surrender because it's so important because it's, so, it's the path that we're on. Whatever is not surrendered is susceptible and vulnerable. Whatever is not surrendered is not protected by God. It's susceptible and vulnerable. Remember I told you that this, uh, the narcissistic king, Herod, he's threatened by Jesus, so he wants to take Jesus out, so he orders a massacre. It's called the Massacre of the Innocents, found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And so God sends Joseph and Mary to Egypt to protect the child, to protect Jesus. What if Mary and Joseph, nah, <laughs> we like it right here, we're fine. Now I can handle myself, God, we'll be okay. God, the view of our, you know, the, the view here is way better than the view in Egypt. God, nah, nah, what did they do? They obeyed immediately. They did the next right thing. It's not about me. It's about him. And what happened? They were protected. Some of us, if we're really honest, we're not under the protection of God. We're under the protection of me, myself, and I, my wisdom, my understanding, my ability to navigate my current situation and circumstances, which means we're susceptible and vulnerable. Surrender is how we move ourselves under the authority and the grace and the refuge and the protection of God. He's called a strong tower. The only way to benefit from a strong tower is to go into it and surrender and put yourselves within its walls. So whatever's not surrendered is susceptible and vulnerable. Surrendering to God, this is the great part, is how we see and experience God. You know, Luke interviews Mary. We'll look at that passage and understand that in just a second. But if you're, if, you're, if you're interviewing Mary and you hear all these crazy things that she's had to deal with, that we're like, God, how'd that fit? And how does that work out? And we're, I don't know how to make that look good, Mary. 
Mary would tell a story, and it would be a story of, you know, I, I thought it was crazy that I had to give birth in a stall, and I had to put my son, the son of God, had to put him in a feeding trough that cows and donkeys ate out of. But you know what? This crazy thing happened. These shepherds came, and they came to worship my son. And, and, and you know, we're talking to these shepherds, and we said, hey, how did, how did you know that he was the one? Well, we were told he'd be sleeping in a manger. <gasps> so what I thought was a sign that God doesn't know what he's doing and that God's not looking out for me and my new baby was actually a sign to other people that this is the Son of God. Do you ever think that something you think is a sign that God is not in control, that God is not good, that God is not all-powerful, is actually going to become an altar moment, a flag moment in your story where, no, that's the moment I thought God was had let go of the wheel, that God wasn't good, that God wasn't powerful, but now in hindsight, that's the moment I experienced more of God's faithfulness, more of God's grace, and more of God's glory. So amazing, right? But grace and favor, they don't always start coming to us in recognizable packaging. Now, the last thing I'll say is, I, I, I have to be honest, I, I teach this passage probably every other year of Christmas. It's one of my favorites. And I noticed something for the first time. So, so this is, for me, the first time. If you go back to Luke 1, Luke gives an introduction before he gets into this Luke 2 stuff and Mary. And here, here's what he said. He tells why he writes the book. But it's so powerful. Because he says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So a lot of people have tried to study what happened and learn what happened with Jesus, how he got here. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed him down to us. So uh, scripture and the gospels are eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ. So it seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first, interviewed eyewitnesses, to write to you in an orderly sequence. Look what he says, an orderly sequence. It all fits together. And Luke says this under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. He says, and he's writing to most honorable, honorable Theophilus. Uh, that's the person he's writing to or writing for. So that you may know the certainty of the things of which you've been instructed or the certainty of things of which you've been taught. And I'm like, you know what? So from Luke's vantage point, looking at this all through the lens, looking at this thing, right, all through the lens of God, the Holy Spirit, everything's happening in an orderly experience. Everything's happening in a way that is going to fit together for the glory of God. Everything's happening the way God purposed it, the way God planned it, the way God ordained it. Everything's happening in an orderly sequence. Yet the way Mary is receiving it, the way Mary is experiencing it is what? crazy, random, chaotic, causes her to question God. But she always comes back to, I am the Lord's servant. He'll make it orderly and sequential. He'll make what I think is random. He'll make it fit. He'll take this ugly ornament that I would have thrown away and he'll put it somewhere in such a way so it, oh, it's beautiful. Thank you, God, for being great to me and gracious to me. So here's where I leave us today. Here's the promise of surrender. Because I, I know it's hard, right? It's hard. God can do way more with our surrender than we can do with our control. God can do way more with my surrender than I can do with my control. So church, Christians, non-Christians, 
people with questions, people with doubts, people struggling because 2020, we're not in control. Right now, what do you need to surrender? Some of you, for the first time, Jesus needs to become your Savior and your Lord, and you give him your sins. He gives you his life. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you the promise of an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. If you're surrendering right now, praise the, praise the Lord. Some of you, you know right now, God has revealed that something is out from under his authority, that something is all in your control, and he's inviting you right now to choose surrender. Can we all say, today, I am the Lord's servant. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this time in your word. Have your way in each and every one of us. Reveal spirit, the next right thing, the immediate obedience, the less of me, more of him. And then find us in our hearts right now, surrendering, saying, I am the Lord's servant. We pray this in the name of the Most High God, King Jesus himself. Amen.